Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hey, Louise. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's nice to see you. Nice to see you. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about, I mean, this book is so good. Megan Colhane Galbraith's The Guild of the Infant Savior. I'm holding it up. It is very good. Yeah. Particularly, this is a very long chapter. It's called Hold Me Like a Baby. What struck out? I mean, there's so much that... There's so much. Well, right away, there's just a quote. And I don't want to jump ahead at all, but it's right in the first part of what we read. This is the, I put main issue. What page? Page 82. Okay. Being held tight is what I desire Uh, most. Being held tight terrifies me. Yes. I I highlighted that too. I like circled and started put main issue. This is like a huge issue in my life. Like a big issue. It's a real like, oh, uh, yes. Like I I like to be hugged and I like to hug people, but if you hug me two times, like, oh God, please stop. Like, it's weird. It's a problem. (laughs) Well, she had so much that I related to that. I highlighted this, like, how do you self-soothe? My therapist Mm -hmm. asked, I suppose I compartmentalize my feelings. I have a difficult time asking for help. I rarely cry, even while my body begs for the catharsis and relief of tears. I long to ugly cry in someone's arms, yet I'm terrified that I might be inconsolable. I've rationalized that my cries in that foster home didn't bring my foster mother running to comfort me. Over time, I've learned to keep silent, to turn my suffering upon myself and to not trust anyone to appropriately comfort me. Oh my God, did I relate to that? (laughs) I mean, when you read that just now, I was like, I'm so glad you brought that one up because to long to ugly cry. I've actually been kind of accused of being cold sometimes. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I, I think our friends would say, oh, you're such a warm person. We are, but it's hard to get me to cry. And when I do cry, it is ugly because it's rare and coming, but I really, it's, I get almost ashamed or I don't know, whatever you just tagged in. Well, there's something so vulnerable Mm -hmm. about it or showing the real, like Mm -hmm. really showing yourself, I guess, that is almost terrifying. It really is. I mean, you and I haven't seen each other cry that often. That's, and we've been through a lot and there's very few friends who have seen me. I mean, Bill sees me cry, but it's that, and I am very sensitive and emotional and so are you. It's just when she said that, I'm like, I wonder really if that is from being relinquished. Mm -hmm. Like you're quiet. My mom says a quiet baby. And I used to do the self-soothing, this upside down rocking thing, kind of like a downward Yeah, dog. you've talked about that on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like reading what she had to go through with the braces on her legs. I mean, you should ask your mom about self-soothing. Have you asked her? I haven't. I will. Yeah. I'm curious I will. about it. And I like what the therapist also said, what you fear is what you are deprived of. Mm, that's the truth. <laughs> That's the truth for life, by the way. I know. So then moving on from like her own experience, she just goes deep into all of these horrific studies on 
babies that, I mean, you know, the Domicon babies, which we talked about in the last episode, she goes deep into that. And then also just other super horrible, unethical. There's all these things I, that I'm learning from her book. Truly. She did some amazing research. Incredible research. Yeah. Megan. Wow. This, uh this must've been, in fact, I mean, later in the chapter, she talks about this movie she watched documentary that she said, I don't recommend watching it, which just gave me chills when she said that. And then of course I immediately wanted to go watch it. (laughs) Like, okay, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do it. Trust Megan. She did it for us. We don't have to. I mean, it's all about what did she say? The nurture is neglect is the antonym because yes, some of this neglect stuff they did. I mean, they tested out neglect on babies and there was monkeys that, I mean, just horrible. Well, it got me into that, this philosophical Uh, mindset of like, you know, so they're doing these studies to understand how humans work. And then they're damaging these humans and like severely permanently damaging them. And the, to me, some of it just seemed like, of course, you know, that if you're going to give monkeys wires, you know, wrapped in a blanket or a wire that isn't, wrapped. I mean, I guess, you know, research. Needs. I guess that's science, but it really, truly, some of the stuff was really inhumane and awful to these babies, especially. I mean, like even that first that you got in last time about Dickie Domacon or whatever. Well, the they get, she baby. gets into him deeper in this too. Deeper. How they about how him. his mother tried to come back and get him yes. back and they wouldn't but there was one thing I just realized that I highlighted and I, I thought this was poignant and I related deeply to it. The real me is embodied in the fears I rarely voice. I am fearful of never truly being seen or loved for who I am. If I don't let myself be truly seen, however, was I ever really here? In other words, have I othered myself? Have I abandoned myself? That's pretty deep. I can see definitely you relating to that. Yeah. We have long talks about that. Mm-hmm. Because you're in that section too. She said that she talked about the three attachments. Did you have oh, the anxious attachment mm-hmm. style? The uh, uh-huh. secure attachment style, anxious attachment. I think I've graduated from anxious. I think I've graduated from anxious to avoidant. <laughs> I'm definitely anxious. Like I was like, oh, and she's anxious. She said, like many adoptees, I found I was anxiously attached, which means I crave closeness and intimacy, yet I'm insecure about how other people feel about me, no matter how much they tell me otherwise. This is my marriage. This is my life. And I I like that you graduated. (laughs) I graduated to avoid it. But here's what. I think that's not a graduation. No, it's a a demotion. demotion. (laughs) (laughs) So her attachment style then attract it get she's attracted to avoidant attachment people yes. who have avoidant attachment which was my whole thing you yes. know finding those unavailable men i write about in in the stories i'm writing yes my stories all have the same thread of an of unavailable people yeah. so just in my first marriage when we went to counseling she said that we perfectly matched because we both chose each other for being unavailable Yes. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this explains 
where were these books? See, I intellectually knew all this, the whole, I don't know that, you I know, did. I went, I popped myself into therapy at 20 years old and I could pay a lot of lip service to what I knew intellectually was wrong, but I couldn't emotionally connect that. It's not crazy long, how long, long it's taken. Yeah. Doing the work of ourselves is a lifelong experience. I mean, this is, I feel like the last two years has been like I'm born again or something. It's- yes. And there's always new stuff peeling back to getting into some of these just. Yes, you have to a little bit. This I thought was just, mm. so, I mean, there's so many, but the behaviorist John Broadus Watson and his graduate student, Rosalie Rayner, conducted the Little Albert experience, uh. experiments in 1920. His findings on child rearing included firm feeding, sleeping, and toileting schedules, no matter if the child was hungry or sleepy. Pacifiers, thumb sucking, and any form of affection were strictly forbidden. When you are tempted to pet your child, remember that mother love is a dangerous instrument. Never yeah. hug or kiss your children. Never let them sit in your lap. And then within the decade, he was mm-hmm. deemed unethical. Apparently, that think that sort of train of thought kept going for yeah. quite some time into the ferberizing years and all of that. Yeah. Because even my mom, I remember when I had my son, you know, she's from a different era and she would say, well, you, you, you hold him too much. You're always coddling him. You and you and your, I won't say his name. My ex-husband were always like coddling him and holding no, anyone him. can do a quick Google search and find out his name. <laughs> I just want to out him on the podcast, but it's like you, you, you put them in the playpen and just leave them, right? Let them cry it out, and there's cry a cry it out in the crib at night, and yeah, there's some, there's some crying it out, okay, for certain things, but I mean, some of the archaic stuff they'd say, you know, forty five minutes, two hours. I mean, the babies, babies are telling you something. They're babies. That's how they yeah. communicate. I'm uncomfortable. There's a pen bothering I, I me, like I loved, yes. yeah. I never, I, I never did any, cry. I couldn't, I couldn't do the <laughs> could, crying so, out. It never, I, I never, it never if worked. my dog wants something, I'm like there in a second. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm the opposite of the poster child for the opposite. I thought going back to Dickie Domicon, which wasn't his uh, name. This is what they called him. Right. He, he had a name. He was born to a mother named May LaRock. His name was Richard LaRock. But she, you know, it was 1920 and the birth father abandoned her and she, you know, she didn't feel like she had a choice. And then he got taken by Cornell for this study. He was renamed Dickie Domicon and placed immediately into the care of his practice mothers. His six or so mothers fell in love with him. Yeah. And you just kind of picture, I talked to somebody at work today about this, about this baby would you know having six different mothers how how confusing. confusing like he'd go to sleep with one face in front of him and then wake up in the morning with another face in front of him and i and, can't even imagine his confusion as and was he the one that came back and said he felt like he he met them didn't he yeah that was in last week uh, i felt like it was him we could be wrong no it but. was him no no i'm sorry Take that back. It was not him. It was a different one. I was a, a different, different one who said, I felt for the first time in my life, I felt like everybody else who had a family. This boy, his birth mother kept calling and asking yeah. and writing, not or writing, saying, Can I please come to see him? I love him and I'm lonesome for him. 
Will you please write to me about him? I would be very grateful. And one of the people that worked there passed that letter along saying she really felt sorry for the mother and hoped she would have the chance to raise him herself. And then at the end of the term, they said, you know, the question of letting Dickie go has been a very burning one for we have all grown to love the little boy. However, they were convinced a good adoptive home would be found because everyone wants the child that is so desirable after the care he received at Cornell. There's just so much infuriating things that have. Yeah. Even the fact when they said that she had to give him up or whatever, they don't even know those circumstances. I mean, the pressure for her, it was like, she didn't even know she signed her rights away. Right. She had no idea what she she, had no idea. 1920. It's a way to get a a woman at her most vulnerable after she's just given birth and she's confused. And you know, that's, that stuff still goes on, you know? Yeah, it does still go on. The confusing, emotionally vulnerable, scared. Yep. Well, she ends the chapter. And I guess we could go on because the the, chapter, (laughs) this is like not even the whole chapter. Yeah. (laughs) The part we read because we read up to one Oh seven for our readers reading along. She did say that I like this ending about this when she said, as an adult, I remember seeing the first ever photo of myself as a four month old. It was given to me by my Catholic charities caseworker. I recognized the vacant look in my infant eyes. Same as the one described in all this research. Maybe I've been classically conditioned like little Albert to fear of something. I have the vague notion that what I feared most was crying, both because once I started, I began able to stop, but more so than that, no one would come to soothe me. Mm-hmm. That's really, it makes me cry. That's just. Yeah. So much, so many sad things. Yeah. Megan, you've done an amazing job tying in research with personal. I love how she like come back to it. Mm-hmm. This, this is talent. a really, really great yeah. book. Highly recommend getting it. We have a link in our show notes. Yeah. We've got more to go. We have an exciting finale that we will be sharing with you yeah. very soon. We'll be telling you about what that's going to be. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be really cool. Yes. Well, okay, so we have a, we have a great, great guest. guest coming up. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Hi, listeners. We just wanted to thank our sponsor, S12F. He's a fellow adoptee dedicated to supporting other adoptees. And of course, we want to thank our Patreons. We couldn't do this weekly podcast without your support. We're so happy to be able to get these important stories out there. Thanks again. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Now back to our guest. So we're here today with another interview that we're excited about because we must have pushed this two or three times due to illness going around in in the country. And we are- But you mean a conversation, (laughs) not an interview. (laughs) It's a conversation. And we're having a conversation today with Katie Crowell, and she's joining us. She found our podcast just by searching. And so welcome, Katie. Hi, Louise. Hi, Sarah. Yeah, I found you just by searching. Where are you joining us from? I live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philadelphia. Mm, yep. Yep. You're near New Hope? Yes. Very close. I love that About town. 30 minutes away. Yeah. It's a great town. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm Beautiful. originally from well, and- Northeastern Pennsylvania, though. Oh, okay. So I wasn't born here, but I am from Pennsylvania. Well, welcome. We're excited to finally speak with you. So Thank tell you. us about your adoption Yeah, tell journey. us your journey. So I was born at the end of October, 1966, baby scoop era. And 
I was adopted about six weeks later, just before Christmas. And it's funny because it was my mom's, it was just before my mom's birthday and just before Christmas. So, you know, I'm sure I was thought of as quite the gift, although no one ever really put it that way. I have an older brother who is also adopted. He's about two and a half years older than I am. And during that Christmas, I was told he said, she can go back now. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> new sibling and he was How being, old was he when he was adopted? Was he also an infant? He was an infant too. Yes. And adopted from the same place. Mm. That's an interesting, we'll get there, but. And so your I always parents knew, couldn't have children as many. As yeah, it was, either. it was an issue with my mom. Yeah, they could not have their own children. So they were a little bit older when we were adopted, like getting into their 30s. And back then that was, you know, that was a little bit older than usual. And I know my mom told me at some points that 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 people could be cruel, you know, asking questions and when are you going to have children, things like that. So I think that was a big part of her some of her issues, you know, insecurities and things. So I always knew that I was adopted. And I think it was just part of the conversation because my brother was adopted. I don't remember ever having them sit me down and with a conversation. It was just, I just knew it. And they always said, we'll answer your questions. We'll, you can ask us anything. I also felt through the years that they said that, but they were hoping we wouldn't ask too mm -hmm. many questions. I always felt fierce love for my parents. And I say fierce because I think there's a there's an element to being an adopted parent that's there's a fear to it. Like we have to do this the right way. We have to do right by this child. They were overprotective. They were strict and conservative. So but lots of love and, and, a, and a good childhood. It was, it was fun. We went on lots of fun vacations. There were, my parents had, they were from that community from Northeastern Pennsylvania. So they both grew up there. They had a big support system and lots of friends. So I was adopted from this place called St. Joseph's Children's and Maternity Hospital. It's not called that anymore, but it still exists. It's called St. Joseph Center and it was run by a group of nuns called the Immaculate Heart of Mary Sisters. So it's Catholic associated thing. And it's ironic because I grew up basically a block from there, from this facility. Yeah. And my aunt, my mom's sister lived across the street from it. So it was kind of between our houses, my house and my aunt's house. And it was a big part of my upbringing because we would we would go to their festival every year. It was a big community event. It was like a three-day picnic that the whole community looked forward to. I volunteered there as a, as a young kid, like in my tweens. Did, did you know that you were adopted from there? I did. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And it's a place that also housed severely disabled children that couldn't be taken care of at home. So when I volunteered there, I took care of those children. And so... So you were um, adopted. Your parents fiercely loved you. Uh, you knew you were adopted. Did your brother, did you and your brother ever discuss it when you got older? 
Yes. Were so you the two of you close? My brother and I had issues growing up. We didn't get along as teenagers. And and this is interesting because when I first started listening to your podcast, it was you were talking about the primal wound. And what struck me was the issues of personality and how some children growing up as adoptees, they have trouble in school and they act out and they're angry. They have trouble with depression and sometimes addiction. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's my brother. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you talked about was the people pleaser, the chameleon, the person who's doesn't want to cause any trouble and and does everything according to the rules. And I was like, oh, that's me. And I hadn't thought about those things as far as like, oh, that was about adoption. I attributed them to, oh, that's how I was raised, the time I grew up in how my parents parented me, things like that. So it really, it was one of those, let's peel back another layer of the onion and eye opening for me. So my brother and I, he was kind of an angry kid. He was, he got in trouble a lot. And so I was the good girl. And so during our teen years, we didn't get along real well. Now we do. He actually, and I remember, I think Sarah, you had said this about your brother at one point. That so he never married or had any children. Um, yeah, same with him. Be- yeah, same with Yeah. Him. And he became kind of the fun uncle to my children. He definitely has struggled in his life. And we've talked about finding birth parents. And he always says he doesn't want to and he feels very loyal. It's a it's the loyalty thing yeah. for him. So does he know that you're doing this podcast and Yes. <laughs> yeah, he does. And my children know and everybody's excited about it. It's brave, not my dad, you know, not, <laughs> not your dad. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's hard. It's hard. The family layers of it are very, it's a lot to come out and talk about it. Right. So growing up, I felt, I thought I was kind of well adjusted to being adopted. I would tell people I would, I, I thought it was kind of like a cool thing. It was sort of set me apart. And when I would watch maybe Oprah or some other talk show on TV and adopted people would say, all of us feel like something's missing. We all feel abandoned. I would be like, why did they say that about everyone that would bother me? Because I didn't feel that. But I did feel like I didn't belong. Like I was always on the outside looking into a group, whether it was my family a group of friends, whatever group it was, I still feel that. I still feel kind of like I'm like I'm on the outside looking in all the time. When you're saying that, I was thinking that's how it was for me. I didn't put myself like, I don't feel like those people at all. I don't feel abandonment, but I do feel really like I don't fit in. I don't tell anybody that. It's the weird, like I'm supposed to Mm -hmm. feel some big abandonment thing, but it's really there. It's it's underneath. It, yeah, it just manifests itself in different ways, I think. And then, yes, I had a happy childhood. But on the flip side of that, my mom, I think, really struggled with insecurities and grief and depression about not being able to have her own children. She was the youngest of nine. So she had four sisters and four brothers. One actually passed away when he was a toddler. But all of her sisters and sisters-in-law were able to have their own children. And she was the youngest. So she saw that growing up. 
she, of course she wanted to have her own children. And I think it was just, she just felt like, you know, something's wrong with me and I'm not whole. I'm, there was definitely stuff for her that came out in her parenting and then in turn made me struggle with self-esteem. And I think not, not really knowing myself, not really trusting that inner voice and also kind of latching on to boyfriends Mm -hmm. and not making the best of choices there. And so I did, I got married pretty young. I was 24 and I had moved out of my house to New York City and was living in Brooklyn and then was working at a German bank in Manhattan. And that's where I met my husband. And we had three children together and it eventually came to realize that he was a severe alcoholic. And so I think I just didn't, I didn't, wasn't able to recognize that and didn't know. I was also very young mm-hmm. and didn't really realize that because part of my growing up was we celebrate with alcohol and yeah. we, this is like a huge Irish Catholic family that every event, every graduation, every wedding, of course, we all People drink, that you don't way. think yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. So he unfortunately and tragically passed away in 2017. But wow. Were you still married at that time? We were, although not living together anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, so back to the adoption. That still must have been really, (laughs) I mean, your entire adult life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And at some point he had gotten a DUI and it was really like a huge wake up call to me. It was like, I realized I couldn't change him. And I started to kind of build my own life with my children. And, you know, he didn't ever get that. He didn't get sober. Wake up call. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. The one thing that reminds me of with growing up and not kind of knowing that or being able to follow that inner voice, there was sort of a dichotomy for me where I felt insecure. I felt like I didn't belong. But there was also this inner voice that would come up that I really feel now was DNA. It was just genetically wired in there. Like, you are strong. You can achieve. You are intelligent. You can, you know, you do make the right choices. Just keep on going. And I think that's where the strength to kind of separate myself from him came from. But as you guys have said many times about having children, I was pregnant with my first child when I was 28. And I around seven or eight months thought, oh, I need to, I need to get my medical history. And so I called St. Joseph's and a woman, you know, told me, yes, we can, we can find that for you. And we started talking and she ended up saying, but sometimes these reunions don't go so well. And I was like, what? Okay. And I just went, you weren't even in that realm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, oh, or like, why would you, you know, it's almost like a discouragement to search. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was saying positive things too, but that's what stuck out to me. And I stopped. I said, okay, never mind. And then second pregnancy with my daughter, same feelings. Oh, I really have to get my medical history for my kids. And was your husband like encouraging of that? Yeah, he knew all about it. 
it was not a big deal for me to share that information. No, I don't mean about being adopted, but was uh, he encouraging of you finding that information? Yeah. Or? Yeah, he definitely was. Yes. We had moved down to the Bucks County area at that point and I was visiting my parents. And so, you know, I was a block from the facility where I was adopted from. And I called there and I said, you know, gave her my information again. And the woman on the phone was very helpful and didn't say that same thing about reunions. And she said, but Katie, I have to tell you something. I was like, what could she have to tell me? I was sort of worried she might say, oh, your birth mother's passed or something like that. And she said, I'm holding in my hand a letter from your birth mother that I just received. That she had so, just received? Yes. So crazy we, how those things work? Wow. And, and yeah. this is your second time calling. Right. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found this out later. There had been an article in the local newspaper saying that St. Joseph's was initiating searches. So my birth mother had seen this article and it sparked her to write a letter. I never saw the article. I didn't live in that area anymore. No one mentioned it to me. So she did live in that area. She did. She did. Yes. She not right, like about 30 miles away, but not far, not far at all. Plus enough to have seen the article. Yes. So the areas are Scranton and Wilkes-Barre. I don't know if you've ever heard of those towns, but they're kind of twin cities almost. They, so the newspapers are similar and yeah, similar area. So I was like, okay, we both just did this at the same time. And this means something, you know, I still kind of had the walls up. I wasn't ready to plunge right in and meet and do all these things. And I think my birth mother was a little more ready to get close. And I think she was a little offended by me just wanting my medical history. But we started writing letters. And back then it was put the stamp on the letter, (laughs) put it in the mailbox. And then it became email later. And we, we really got to know each other through these letters. And one of the things that stuck out to me was that period of time where between being born and being adopted, it was only about six weeks. And in one of her letters, she said to me, I've visited you every day. Oh, during those six weeks. And so she had not lived in the facility. They did house unwed mothers. And I remember as a child actually seeing groups of pregnant women walking the neighborhood and wondering like, oh, I wonder if my birth mother ever walked around this neighborhood. And she hadn't. So she didn't live there while she was pregnant. But she said she visited me every day, rocked me, held me, fed me. And for some reason, that just... I cried and cried and cried about that. Like, I didn't miss out on that nurturing. Yeah. There were times where I thought, oh, I probably was left alone in a crib and on a schedule and, you know, different shifts of nurses or nuns or whatever were taking turns. And it wasn't like that. So that was really sad for her that she came 
and then mm-hmm. relinquished to, you know? Yeah. What were the circumstances in which she made that decision? She was a little older than you might expect. She was like 23 years old. She got pregnant with a man who she had dated for a long time, but they were kind of just really good friends. And they went to parties together and danced together and things like that. This is what I obviously found out from her later. And when she told him she was pregnant, he didn't believe her. And he told her that she was trying to trap him into marriage. Nice. Mm -hmm. And so she said, okay, forget you. And she went off and she actually lived with a friend of hers who was a nurse during her pregnancy because her father was a prominent lawyer in the community. And of course, there was no way they could allow her to be seen. And so her parents knew and then they sent Mm -hmm. her. Mm-hmm. So it's so I just reflect on this every time, like women, just even how your mom felt shame, not having mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being able to get pregnant. And here's more shame. You go off and live yeah. and you're 23 years yeah. old, you know, you can ha- have a baby. Yeah. Yes. She used to tell me that when we got together and developed a relationship, there was so much healing for her because of the terrible shame and just. She never got over it. She never married. She never mm. had any other that children. That's such the story of yes. so many birth mm-hmm. mothers. Mm-hmm. And I think she kind of swore off men a little bit after that experience. I think she was kind of like, I'm just going to do my thing. She was a music teacher in public school. She was also a field hockey coach for many years and a school counselor. Interesting so, that you were a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of parallels that we figured out as time went on she had actually my husband was a an opera singer on the side and she had turned down a scholarship to Juilliard for voice mm. and was very interested in opera and she turned it down because she was it's such a funny story she loved horses she had her own horse farm and she called horse shows in the area for like 40 years something like that so she taught, I guess, dressage or, you know, horse mm-hmm. jumping and had different. I don't even know all the different kinds. I think Welsh ponies. She's and now super I'm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And she was lovely. She really was. And she did not overstep. She didn't try to. She kept the boundaries and let me decide. My mom and dad really didn't want any part of the reunion process. Must have made it harder. It was very hard because my mom even said, can you not involve your kids, the, oh, her grandchildren? I went through this. I went through mm-hmm. this. Is, I, yeah, this is just mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. thing to put on the adoptee, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I honored her wishes. I met my birth mother. Eventually, the two of us just met alone. And then we would call each other and keep in touch and send emails. And she, this was really cool when, so I was born at the end of October and starting the first week of October, she would send me birthday cards, like several birthday cards before my actual birthday. And I don't know, she was maybe making up for lost time, but yeah, she actually passed away in 2016 suddenly 
of mm. a heart attack. Yeah, she was only 73 years Did old. Did your kids ever get young. to meet her? Yeah, after my mom passed in 2009. So I think... And your mom just, never came around, like just wouldn't no. wouldn't let that happen for her. And never no, met her, I'm assuming. Never met her? No, no. And it wasn't something that was easy to talk about. It was always strained. It. I felt guilty. Of course, I felt mm-hmm. like I was being disloyal and like I had to honor her feelings. And going back to just my birth father for a second. So my parents were told that he tried to get custody of me and that he, when he found out he was not allowed to do that, he joined the military. Were they so when told, I told this? Yes. So I think this what is they what tried St. Joseph told your parent, your parents mm-hmm. when, so when you got adopted. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I think the mother was the scourge of humanity, you know, shame on you and you're a bad girl. Right. Oh. And but the man, they kind of romanticized how that whole thing went down. When I told my birth mother that she almost doubled over laughing like that's not what happened at all and i can't believe quite the opposite mm-hmm. and he was a dental student at the time of my birth and his father had the dental practice and so he was all set to join his father and wow. take over the practice he became a dental surgeon and so still doesn't know i don't know if he knows that i exist or not because oh. i have never a desire to, I mean, I've had little feelings now and then of like, oh, I know who he is. I know his name. I know what he looks like. I have three half sisters. You and I are in the same boat. I have like, two <laughs> half sisters, but same. I know who he is, the whole thing. Well, he knows yes. who you are though now, Louise. He knows now, but now he, he doesn't. Have now he blows and he me knew off. about you back Does he yeah. really? The whole search thing for me was always kind of like, oh, do I want to open this Pandora's box? What is this going to bring into my life. And I did have a lot of compassion for my birth mother growing up. And I do think that came from my parents. I felt like, well, what if she married and had kids and never told anyone? And who knows what you're going to find, right? And the fact that we reached out at the same time kind of made it okay. Mm -hmm. But with my birth father's family and what he said to her, and I've seen pictures of my half-sisters on Facebook. (laughs) I've come close to messaging them. And then I go, no, 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 stop, stop. I don't know if I'll ever be ready to do that. Plus my father is still alive. He's 91 and he's the quintessential dad. And he, I was going to ask you how he felt about your relationship with your biological mom. And he didn't know, did he? My father didn't. Oh, your father, your father is 91. Sorry. I thought you meant your birth father. No, I think he's around 84 or something at this point. (laughs) Was he the same as your mom about the whole thing? He was. He didn't make any stipulations about grandchildren, but he didn't really want. I had their blessing to, you know, pursue the the relationship, relationship, Mm -hmm. but not to, they didn't want to be involved with it. So, yeah. He still doesn't know, really. He doesn't really. I mean, he knows, he knows that she passed. I did tell him that. And it was really because I wanted the her obituary from the newspaper where his sister lives is where that newspaper is. And she could cut it out from the paper there. Mm. So I asked. Yeah. 
I told him that she had passed and, but we never talk about it other than that. Mm-hmm. My dad never, doesn't have any curiosity about my mm-hmm. none. Mm-hmm. Maybe less to do with my birth family than than just not necessarily super curious in life. But did you end up like letting your walls down with your birth mother? I did. I definitely did. And and the nice thing was it went slowly and sort of carefully with the letters. It gave us time to process it all. We weren't just jumping on the phone or jumping to meet each other. We and a lot of that was her. I feel like her maturity and her emotional growth was very developed and i'm sure it came from being a teacher and you know having all those kids around her her whole life she always said like this is it's up to you how fast or how slow we go and um, oh, that sounds so we, healthy like that's yeah. so the opposite like she didn't yes. let her wound define her life Right. And she didn't bring her baggage to our relationship. Yeah. Which was great. Really, really great. Yeah. I have a whole box of things that like her cards that she sent me. And I ended up speaking actually at her, her memorial. Yeah. And this part is interesting too. After she had me, she and her mom took me to St. Joseph's and she ended up living with a good friend of hers who was pregnant at the time her friend and her husband. And I don't actually know why that happened. I mean, maybe she just didn't want to go home and she Mm -hmm. felt uncomfortable. I never, a lot of questions I never asked her because we ended up just kind of being friends and having an easy relationship. And And she passed early. You didn't think that was it. Yeah. And her mother had lived to be 95 or 96. So I thought we had all this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I just felt like there was lots of time to get to all those questions. I had yeah. similar. And all my emails went away with my Verizon dot not dot <laughs> email when it's, I'm like, I wish I had the fourth. I had to ask her for some of ours because the same thing happened to me and I wanted them. And she had, she sent me a whole envelope full of emails that I had lost. Yeah. I, there was something I was going to tell you about. Did, I forget did your children. Was. So Sarah asked, but I wasn't, I'm not clear on it. Do your children mm-hmm. ever get to know her a little bit? Yeah. So after my mom passed, I brought my oldest and my youngest to meet her. My middle daughter had something going on and we went to see her. So they did meet her in person, but it was just one time. Mm. Yeah. How did they feel about it? Were they like, it was, (laughs) yeah. I mean, they always knew again, they knew I was adopted and, and she was lots of fun with them. She was kind of known as a like silly and a prankster, even (laughs) her family that I know now always said like she would play jokes on people and she was she was really funny she must have been a great teacher I bet she was Mm -hmm. yeah I know what I was telling you about when she went to live with her friend and the friend's husband who was having a baby so that baby became like her almost like her niece they called her my birth mother's name was Jane they called her Aunt Jane so this baby grew up with Aunt Jane And they were super close and she taught her all about horses. And then this girl had a baby and that baby became like her grandchild. 
And so she had so, a little bit of a nurturing. She did yeah. get to experience a little bit. Yeah. And her brother, so my birth mother's brother, my uncle, had two sons. And they have families now. And the children are all under, I think, 13, maybe. And we keep in touch on Facebook and through texting. And like um, you see your first cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So on that side of my birth mother's side, I like I said, she didn't have any other children. So I only have cousins on that side. But I have and they're lovely more. and totally accept me. And go ahead. I have, I have one more question. So have have you done the whole ancestry on your father's side to kind of talk to anybody? Cousins or not your father, not your half sisters, but you know, just anybody else? Or how's that? I did 23 in me because mm-hmm. my daughter had done it. And some of the things that came up for her. I was like, ooh, does that come from me or your dad? So I did that to find out what was from me and what was from him. And there wasn't really anyone on there except but you know his one... name. So it's easy to kind of find right. out. I just you, were, you was wondering because if you're on Ancestry, then like they see you, you know, it's a right. thing. You're like sitting there in their family tree like yeah. I am and this like just sitting yeah. there. And it's interesting. I if do have like, an ancestry. Is that? I do have an ancestry kit sitting right over there yeah. that I haven't done yet, and I'll do it. I'll do it, <laughs> and we'll see what happens. I don't know if they're on there or not. And the birth father thing about him not knowing that I exist. My birth mother had written her own obituary, and they found it in her safe after she passed. And of course, published it. And what it said was survived by, and she had her brother's name. And and then she put my name in there. Just <laughs> there's this name, you know, that no one knew, right? So at the memorial, people were commenting on it to the family members, like, who is this person? And they were telling them. And so I wonder, because he does live in that area, I wonder if he saw it. And if he knows, you know, so he could know I exist. It's possible. You never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, time softens people. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Don't it, you think, mm-hmm. Sarah? Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, I would hate to be defined by oh. something I said or did when I was 24, mm-hmm. 23 years Please. old. Like, I mean, <laughs> Me I'd be canceled. I, I, I would have been canceled a hundred <laughs> times over for things <laughs> I did or said. In my, so... That isn't just all a person is. Yeah, of course. I would say be open to the idea, maybe. Yeah, I think I don't do it because I just, I'm such a daddy's girl. I love my father Mm -hmm. so much. And he's just, he still takes care of me. He's he's still 100% independent. All I've ever felt from him is support and love. (laughs) And that's a fortunate thing that many of us I just feel like I don't have that pull. I yeah. don't have that need. And yeah. maybe when he passes, I will. I don't know. I don't know. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes time. Like, I, I don't have a lot of feelings towards my biological father for the same reason, because I mm-hmm. have such a strong father. But I'd like mm-hmm. to know. But I do have an interest in my siblings. And so mm-hmm. it were just, you know, if would they have an interest in me? And so, you know, there's other people. So just take it slow. and. That's how I feel too. I'll I'll know when I want to do it. And right. Know. Yeah. I think it's important since I grew up sort of not trusting that inner voice to just mm-hmm. to trust it 
and not force it. The times where I almost sent the message, I was like, no, when in doubt, don't. Yes. I don't think I was ready. Sage advice (laughs) (laughs) for many reasons. Yes. Yes. Finally listening to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, this this Um, has been really interesting. I mean, I love hearing journeys and different, you know, and and like just the difference in just, well, your brothers and your experience, completely Mm -hmm. different, you know. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I had similar, you know, we both kind of acted out and had issues and, but we also had other family extenuating circumstances that, that could have had to do with that as well. So it is just, it's, I love hearing every adoptee story and Mm -hmm. how similar and different they are, you know? I know me too. That's why I sought you out (laughs) to hear more (laughs) of them. And I hope it helps people because all of the ones I've listened to, I've, some things resonated with me in every single one. Yeah. You know, there's just always something there that helps me process more and heal more. Even though I thought I was done, I mm-hmm. wasn't done. <laughs> we have this all, Sarah and I have this every interview because then we think mm-hmm. about it the whole week, like, oh, I'll go into another thought process on it. Because yes. your interview will do the same thing. It's, Conversation. Just, it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? It's uh, it absolutely is. It yeah. really is. And I, like I said, I kind of thought I was done until I started hearing those stories and thought, oh, there's something else here. I need to explore or figure out. Yeah. So maybe the next step is birth father's family. Who knows? Well, keep us up to date. You yeah, will. Keep us, reach out to us and keep us posted. I, I feel know. like we're friends now after all our back and I know. forth. <laughs> and I have the books that I'm going to pass on to Sarah after I read. We have so yes. much reading now. I'm like, wow. We're, Sometimes it book, can be a little intense. Like, Yeah, that's what she said about the final. Oh, yeah, you need a break, right? You need a yes. break from it sometimes. Yes. I understand that. I got really hooked on memoirs. I think I read that's about a word, nine or yeah. ten memoirs since the summer. And now yeah. I'm just kind of like, okay. I need to read something. And then you're now reading one of the primal wound. And it's like, I'm reading. I decided to take a break for a minute from anything except for our chapter reviews. Mm -hmm. But now I'm like Mm -hmm. in a fiction. I'm like, okay, I'm reading that one of the top 10 New York Times books. So it's diving into fiction. Yes. (laughs) You know what else I wanted to tell you guys, if you don't mind? You know how you, you always talk about when you see your child for the first time or when you, you see pictures of your birth family. When I saw the pictures, let's start there. I was like, I don't see myself. I didn't really see myself in them, but I feel like they're, my birth mother was, is in me in different ways. And it, it wasn't the pictures that did it for me. It was more of like connecting with my, like she was German and Scottish. And I always felt this, I learned, I majored in German in college, and I always just really felt this strong connection to things that are Scottish over Irish, because my dad is Scottish and my mom's Irish, and I always just resonated or was drawn more to the Scottish, so just things like that. And then with my children, my son looks just like me, and now that he's older, he looks a little more like his dad, but I just felt like I wanted to do everything I possibly could to make sure I did the right thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was, I didn't want to hand my baggage over. I didn't, I wanted to make sure that they could 
feel that inner voice and listen to it and give them that start in life. I know you two always talk about your children, like that connection with Mm -hmm. them and that it's amazing how, and of course everyone feels strongly about their own children, but having that biological connection is well I, and is incredible. Yeah, when it becomes your first when it's the first bio, mm-hmm. you know when you grow up with no genetic mirroring and mm-hmm. no you know always kind of wondering then when that first human is born that is of you there yeah. is a special intensity to that i think that only people that didn't have biology around them may experience mm-hmm. i don't yes. know but i sense that no i i believe it too i do too there is something missing when you don't have that mm-hmm. mirroring. I think that's where the feeling of not belonging comes exactly, from yes. and the feeling of not knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling like, I don't know what I like. And then I would latch on to what other people liked. Oh, mm-hmm. I like this because my friend likes that. Mm-hmm. Now <laughs> that you're saying that, yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember hiding behind a curtain now that you're saying that and watching my family. There's this big curtain in our living room. I can still picture it was it was like a green velvet, you know, at the times. Mm-hmm. Very heavy. And I would hide and stand really still and watch them. Like oh my they were aliens almost, you know, because <laughs> they were so similar. My brother and my parents are so similar because he's not adopted. So you were you were mesmerized by that. Similarity. I would just watch them. I just remember hiding and watching. I was a big hider. Then that comes to the private detective stuff Sarah and I would get into. Yeah. But it's like a hider <laughs> and a watcher. I would hide and watch. Still and not too like, late for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's our next business. I remember next being <laughs> super jealous of my cousins because they had this long silky black hair and mm. I grew up as a ginger was a redhead and it was curly and I just remember like oh I wish my hair was straight and black like there and they all looked like they all looked the in same. a big family yeah yeah uh, thank really you so enjoyed much meeting you and hearing your story and I'm just I, I feel like it's like one of the better happier more well-adjusted stories out there and it's nice to hear that every <laughs> oh good nice. i hope that doesn't make it boring <laughs> not no. at all no <laughs> no it's it's a tribute to your birth mother honestly absolutely she was so mature i love i love yeah. to hear that that yeah, she didn't let that, her pain and you know rule that relationship it lets and, you heal you know mm-hmm. yeah she said so much about how our relationship helped healed her though um i'm sure she said that between my birthday and through Christmas, she said at one point, I just used to get through those months mm. and mm. now I'm enjoying them. And Aww. yeah, yeah. So I provided that healing too, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Brought tears to my eyes. I know. Well, Aww. thank you so much for joining us and thank you. Keep us posted on any decisions or if you like want to just brainstorm, run it by, uh, you know, if you oh, need okay. to talk to about yeah. that kind of thing, we're here for we you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Katie. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. She's really great. I feel like she's so, like I said, well-adjusted and yeah. and in large part, as you said, a tribute to her birth mother. It's kind of rare to hear that happy ending in a way. It is. And she's very calming her voice, isn't she? Uh-huh. I could see how she's a wonderful teacher. Just I'm very like, oh, it's calming. I felt a little jealousy that she had so much healing with her birth mother in a weird way, not jealousy, but like, oh, that's, I mean, longing. I guess that's the word, longing. 
was beautiful. The, the one thing that like stuck out was once again, and you know, that era, but like her, if adoptive parents got the kind of necessary counseling, then they would have been, you know, her mother would have said, absolutely would love to meet her. Please let your children, you know, it's, I think again, that's yes. and the adoptee having to make the concessions. Make the concessions, keep the it separate. Parents, it just, I still get that. That is still a trigger for me that make, you know, I, I don't, it just. Me too. It's very strange. Yeah. Hopefully it is changing. And and I do, I agree. It's a trigger as well. And it feels like she has to cheat on somebody to have the other relationship. And it's all the emotional responsibility piled on the adoptee. Always. That seems to be something that never, ever changes throughout these narratives. (laughs) (laughs) No, even with the most well-adjusted situations, it's still there. And she still has to do it. We all do. We can hear Woody howling in the background. I think I've got to open the door for him. All right. Well, Well, this has been wonderful. So next time. It's been great. Until next time. See you soon. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, Find us at patreon.com, searching adoption, colon, the making of me. Bye. See you next time.